Welcome back to Conversations for the Good. Hello, Dr. Jane. Good morning, Anna. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, I've been looking forward to this week's conversation. It's, it's another week anchoring into our practices and diving into the tough stuff, as we call it, right? Uh, you, yeah. you suggested that we explore our escape routes, where we go when we find ourselves in the throes of emotional reactivity and when impulsivity is on the rise. What a mixed bag, Dr. Jane. You know, I find, <laughs> I find myself baffled at times at the tricks my mind plays on me. For example, you know, this will make you feel better or no, I think I'll do that instead. You know, I get a little irritated at myself and it can get frustrating. Well, it can, Anna, you know, and and let's take a, a closer look at this. We're investigating really the interaction of our thoughts and our feelings, our body sensations and the impulses. And we've called this bundle emotions. And, and we've seen how the thought stream is this continuous flow of images and memories and ideas kind of moving across the sky of the mind is what we've called it, you know, and, and we're beginning to see this activity as things passing through our consciousness in various patterns. They're not facts, they're things, mental events. And, and we're also Uh, becoming more attuned to the body as it reacts to everything we think with all the multiple physical signals, you know, and we may notice tension building up or an increased respiratory rate or heart rate. You know, maybe we're noticing more, uh, you know, headaches or GI discomfort or, or just sheer exhaustion, you know, so these are the physical signals that we're tuning into. And then our feelings also cast their vote in connection with the body and the mind. So we may notice an increase in our uneasiness or our sense of feeling overwhelmed at times. So now what we want to do is we want to turn toward our impulses because that's the other part, the last kind of part of the bundle that kind of ties it all together and check out whether we respond or react to these strong pulls in a given situation. You know, this is really about how we deal with our discomfort. You know, what are our patterns? Do I do we take times to mull, take times to mull things over, or are are we able to step back and weigh the possible consequences? You know, even taking a look at at um, are we even conscious that we have patterns going on? You know, or do we keep fighting ourselves in the same ruts after the fact? You know, and and are our behaviors managing the emotional bundle? You know, and how is that working for us? Well, these are very important <laughs> questions, Dr. Jane, and. You know, I get the idea that impulses can be tricky. Well, they can be. You know, impulses often feel tricky uh, because some some are quite obvious, you know, and yet others are more subtle. They kind of operate uh, below consciousness. And generally speaking, I think of impulses as, as having really two components. There's that internal component, you know, the, the internal changes that are triggered by what's happening in response to my body-mind reactivity, you know, that, that, that impulse of, I want to scream, I want to run, get me out of here, you know, and then this is followed by action or behavior in a direct response to the impulsive drive. So we can have strong impulses and not necessarily be aware of them. And in another situation, we might be fully aware of the impulses and not act on it. Well, that's right. That's right. The way I usually define an impulse is that 
It's a sudden, strong urge to act without any forethought. So there's no time taken to reflect upon the impact of our decision. This is non-reflective. The urge is non-reflective. So it, it knows no boundaries, and it really is not aware of any consequences. You know, we aren't in control of what shows up. We're, we're really not in control of these impulses. They show up in our thinking, right? And, and our control is about what we do next. So for our purposes, you know, I'd like to, to focus on impulses as they show up in one of four states within us. Because this really determines the action that we take or choose not to take. So these states represent really the inner terrain that receives the impulse, you know, or it's kind of like um, where the impulse lands within us. So we can be in one of four states. We can be in a reactive state, you know, when the impulse lands, when we've been talking about that. We can be in an exhausted state. We can be in a dulled or unconscious state. Or we can be in a, a present moment awareness state. Wow. Yeah. The impulses we're considering mostly are those created in heightened emotional reactivity. And these four states that you just spoke about can determine what we do next. Exactly. And our emotional reactivity is, as you so aptly described when we began the conversation today, a mixed bag. You know, we sometimes mistakenly assume that impulsive behavior only happens in high levels of reactivity. You know, but the truth is we're experiencing a variety of situations constantly. And these events aren't necessarily big emotional triggers, yet the impulsivity is present, often under the radar. So that's when we put our hand back in the bag for more chips, right? <laughs> or, gra- right. or grab another drink or opt for some meaningless activity that keeps us in procrastination. Well, that's how it can play out on us. You know, and, and let's review again the multiple dynamics at work in any situation. You know, as, as we've said, you know, this always involves the interplay of the emotional bundle, the thoughts feelings, the physical signals, and lastly, the, the impulsive response and our choice what to do next. So remember back when, you know, we, we've talked about the ABCs of thinking, that we can be in any situation or event, you know, we're either watching the situation or hearing about it, possibly reading about it, or maybe we're actually in the situation, mm-hmm. you know, and, and not much happens until we bring in our interpretation. You know, this is, this is really the who, what, why, and how of the situation. And so then we interpret the situation by filtering it through our senses, our individual history, and that good old backstory. Oh, yes, that good old backstory, you know. Can you tell us a little more about filtering through our senses? Well, our senses can promote or interfere with an accurate read of a situation. You know, if our senses are compromised so that we can't see or hear clearly, or when we're in an altered state, be a, oh, it could be, you know, lack of sleep, it could be drugs, alcohol, or or a food stupor, you know, our perceptions, you know, will also be compromised. Okay, so this makes a lot of sense to me, Dr. Jane, and then the the history, as we call it, the backstory. Right, Anna, you know, and this includes that accumulative um, life experiences, you know, all, all the things that have <clears throat> that we've experienced through our family dynamics, our schooling, our religious indoctrination, you know, 
the community we, we grew up in, you know, it's the sum that created our beliefs and our values. And really this, this becomes our lenses on the world, how we see the world. And, and this also fuels the mind's capacity to spin stories which trigger a myriad of feelings, you know, both pleasure and contentment, you know, or sometimes threat. I mean, and remember, you know, threat can be real or it can be imagined. And it may come in the form of, of a, oh gosh, anything, you know, a perceived assault. Uh, could be someone questioning our intentions or our character, or maybe the situation, you know, where we're merely dealing with unknowns and that old uncertainty rattles us. Well, Dr. Jane, uh, the, you know, these things are not always what they appear to be. Well, yes. However, the body believes everything the mind says. And when there is a perceived threat, the primitive brain, you know, sends those signals through the system that danger is imminent. So we immediately go on high alert, as we've talked about in the past. We're in reactivity. <clears throat> could be a little, could be a lot. And our thinking brain has less pull when we're in this survival mechanism because, you know, we're, we're triggered and we need everything we we um, we need every bit of energy going towards survival. So we're going to be in that that fight, run, freeze mode. Yes, you've indicated in the past conversation that it often goes offline in heightened reactivity. True, true. Yet at times the thinking brain may break through, you know, and, and it could, you know, question the accuracy of our interpretation, or it might provide a oh gosh, like an alternative explanation, or it could create a plan to manage the situation. You know, however, the thinking brain usually gives more real estate to negativity. So we're more likely to justify our reactivity. You know, and then we have, we have that, that little part of the, the, the midbrain called the hippocampus, as I call it Pandora's box, you know, joins in and releases memories that mirror the current thoughts and feelings you know, and this provides even more fuel to that reactive process. It's kind of like, whoa, here we go again. <laughs> oh, boy. So let's see how this sets the stage for the four states to contribute to how an impulse plays out. Well, good. Let's see. So, you know, first, you know, we could be in a reactive state when the impulse shows up, when it lands, you know, and in this reactive state, you know, this scenario is what we just tracked when we were talking about, you know, the interpretation within an event and how we can get triggered. So we're starting with a neutral event and we're interpreting it in a way that produces emotional reactivity, you know, and, and uh, this is often blamed on somebody outside ourselves, you know, and so this keeps the cycle going. So I'm not, I'm not looking at myself at all. The impulses that arise within this kind of emotional reactivity are often dictated by past experiences and the behaviors to deal with the impulses also reflect the past. So we're really not in current times. We're really not in any kind of present time. And because the thinking brain is less likely to be central to making the choice, what plays out is a repeat of the past. So here we go again, yes. So in a reactive state, you know, we continue to do what we've always done with the same unhealthy results. Well, thank you for, for sharing that, because this reminds me of the old definition of insanity, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. doing the same things and always expecting this, you know, the same things to be different. That's um, right. That's right. You know, it, insanity and also a cycle of misery because we really can't change people, places, or things. We can only change ourselves. So in this reactive state, you know, really it, it compromises our ability to deal with situations in any kind of healthy way because we're unable to access the best parts of ourselves to address the issue. What about the impulses in the exhaustion state? Well, Anna, let's explore exhaustion for a moment. You know, it's, it's a state of depletion. You know, it can be physical, emotional, mental, spiritual depletion. Yeah, you know, I often think of exhaustion as the result of lack of restful sleep. Well, that, that's a component, you know, and, and often a symptom of exhaustion. I often define exhaustion as any situation where the demands outstrip our resources. Well, that, that takes in quite a bit of territory, you know, and it could be a while on the job, you know, it could be, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, it could be while we're on the job, I should say, or our home life, our social well, life. I mean, frankly, it could be overall consuming. Well, yes. You know, and if you've ever, ex- ever experienced burnout, you know, this is a form of exhaustion. And, and you know that the effects of burnout don't just stay on the job. You know, it, it's as you say, Anna, you know, they spill into our home and family and, and social circles and, and it colors how we see ourselves and others and, and the world, you know, and there are frequently feelings within this exhaustion or burnout uh, state, feelings of being trapped, you know, trapped in this kind of overwhelm. So it colors our interpretation of all situations play out afterwards and, and any events or um, it can interfere with our ability to focus and how we choose to deal with the consequences of our interpretations. So again, the best part of us is totally inaccessible. Dr. James, how about, um, you know, how we work with impulses in adult state? Well, by dulled, Anna, you know, we mean something that interferes with our clarity, kind of fogs our perception disrupts our thinking process, could be a lack of solid self-care that's affecting our health, Um, like not staying hydrated. I mean, something as simple as that can dull our senses. Um, Compulsive eating that dulls our senses, you know, blood sugar imbalances. It could be high blood sugar or low blood sugar. You know, drugs or alcohol certainly dull us. You know, constant distractions with technology and and the vast array of the devices, you know, that that we use. You know, the result is that we're in a state of disconnect and we're not able to access or sustain our attention. So in this kind of dulled state, you know, knee-jerk reactions, you know, often are the response with any perception of consequences. And as the impulse lands in these first three states, you know, reactive, exhausted, or dulled, we're not likely to recognize that we have a choice. So our unconscious and past conditioning are driving how we manage the situation. I'm reminded of our own ongoing reference to help, you know, avoid getting too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. It sets us up to be more vulnerable to our reactivity and less likely to deal with this situation effectively. Well, that's exactly what we're pointing to, you know, avoiding behaviors, lifestyles, conditions, you know, that render us vulnerable to the point that we're unable to make healthy choices. 
Well, that's three down and one to go, right? So (laughs) the fourth state is present moment awareness. Uh, This has to offer a healthier place to land. Yes, Anna. You know, and, and this is what we're seeking. You know, it's why we're choosing to practice turning toward the discomfort, you know, in our last practice that we talked about in our last conversation. You know, we all get triggered, you know, and, and at times it's just totally unavoidable. What's most important is what we do next. So the most productive thing that we can do in these instances is to be aware of what's happening as it's happening, you know, aware of the thoughts the feelings, the body sensations, and impulses as, as the chain of events are happening, as they, they're leading, um, you know, us to make the choices or not make choices and to really see them and see how it can lead to the downward spiral into more reactivity, more funky moods, anxiety, and depression. So we want to catch it before we really move into that spiral. We're observing and accepting you know, what's happening as it's happening and diverting our attention, <clears throat> excuse me, from the, from the autopilot, which fuels that downward spiral. So from this new vantage point, we can determine the accuracy of our thinking and observe our reactivity. You know, the sensations of our body and are, are available to us and can inform us and we can better understand what's going on and we can recalibrate. So otherwise, we're prone to the stories invented by our fears and our runaway emotions. Well, so with our awareness intact, we meet the cascade of the emotional bundle and determine a healthy response rather than reacting. Yes, yes. And our mindful awareness allows us to have a pause long enough in the reactivity to recognize the state we're in. You know, in, in this pause, we gain clarity in the, in the whole reactive process. You know, so I'm, I'm standing in, in, my, in my present moment awareness. I'm in this pause and I, I'm able to say, oh, that's how I got here. Mm. You know, and, and as we land in awareness, we may opt not to act on the impulses that are arising from the reactivity. We may choose to wait and determine later when I'm less reactive what the next right thing might be. Hmm. Well, that makes total sense. You know, Dr. Dean, where do we focus our practices this week? Well, Anna, let's stay with a three-minute breathing space. You know, let's do it twice a day and whenever we need it. You know, it's a perfect pause so that we can observe what's happening now. You know, and also let's continue the turning toward the discomfort practice, you know, where we settle into the sensations of our breath and body and we observe the movement thoughts across that sky of the mind, you know, we allow the difficult situation to arise in our mind with with all the accompanying, you know, feelings and notice where in the body, the region of the body that's registering the difficulty and then just allow ourselves to breathe into and out of that part of the body, watching the ebb and flow, you know, knowing within ourselves and even maybe saying to ourselves, you know, this is okay. It's not comfortable, but Whatever it is, it's okay. And if we become too overwhelmed, you know, we move back to the sensations of the breath, solely on the breath. Yeah, these practices are amazing. I, I just love them. And the question for this week? Well, as we're closing the daily practice of the three-minute breathing space, you know, we've just spent three minutes and we're 
tuned in again. We're reconnected with our awareness. Let's pause and inquire into what's happening in our experience in the moment. You know, notice what's arising, you know, in our thoughts and feelings, our body sensations, our impulses. And let's ask ourselves, what do I need right now? You know, how can I best take care of myself right now in this moment? This is all such important information. And these practices are incredibly helpful in our journey to managing our impulses and living from our best and highest selves. A quick reminder for our listeners is that the three-minute breathing space and the turning toward the discomfort practices can be located on the Conversations for the Good YouTube channel. Thank you, Dr. Jane. Thank you, Anna. Until our next conversation.